Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Creative Psychotherapist podcast with guest Wanda Montemayor. And oh my gosh, she's amazing and has so much great positive energy. And I'm super excited to share this uh, conversation with her about how she's been uh, over the years creating community art therapy projects, doing ceramic tile mosaic murals around the city of Austin and, um, and really has uh, embedded group therapy approaches for working with teens into her private practice. She has a small um, group practice in the Austin area with nine therapists working with her. And oh my gosh, you have to check out their website. They're doing really cool stuff. Um, so I hope you enjoy this conversation with her. If you like what you hear, um, you can learn from her and you can learn how she sets up and fills her groups um, doing virtual art therapy with teens at the upcoming Expressive Therapy Summit. And you can head over to their website, www.expressivetherapysummit.com, click on the LA tab, and then click on the virtual sessions. She's down at the very bottom of the list because she's going to be teaching on Sunday, April 10th from 2.30 to 6.30 p.m. on trauma-informed art therapy interventions for adolescent groups, virtual connections, and I'm sure it's going to be a huge hit. And without further ado, here's the interview. The Creative Psychotherapist is the official podcast of the Creative Clinician's Corner, a practice-building resource for creative psychotherapists. TCP Podcast is the cast for creative, expressive, and experiential-focused psychotherapists curious to learn how to design, build, and scale a thriving private practice. Your host, Raina Lombardi, interviews successful therapists about the tools and strategies they have used to develop creative-focused practices. They also talk about the products, services, and side hustles they have developed, using their knowledge and creativity to enhance their therapy practices, make a greater impact in their communities, and diversify their income streams. Welcome. Now here's your host, Raina Lombardi. Thanks so much for listening to the Creative Psychotherapist podcast. I'm your host, Raina Lombardi, and I'm really excited to welcome my next guest, Wanda Montemayor. And she is a licensed practicing counselor supervisor and art therapist in the state of Texas and ATRBC. She's also an art therapy credentialed supervisor and a registered play therapy supervisor. She's been creating public art for more than 23 years. She has a bachelor's in art education, a master's in professional counseling, a post-secondary degree in art therapy, and is Mari trained. Wanda focuses on creating large-scale works of art through group art therapy, focusing on handmade ceramics. Wanda's 10 murals adorn schools and parks across the Austin, Texas region. Multiple years in the making, they are created through multiple group art therapy sessions. She's been leading child and lesson adolescent art therapy groups for more than 14 years, serving a diverse cross-section of teens around Austin and has more recently developed skills as a virtual art therapy group facilitator. She also owns a group therapy practice called Community Art Therapy. 
Um, welcome, Wanda. Thank you so much for making the time to be here today. I am so excited to be here. Yay. How awesome. Yes. Yes. So <clears throat> let's kind of start with how you got involved in deciding to do the community mural process. That's a really big project for people that haven't done something like that. Um, there's so many moving parts, uh, funding sources, things like that. Um, how did you get started? Um, how I got started was my first life, I was an art teacher. And my very, very favorite part of the day was my after school art club. And that's when I realized, um, and then I went into grad school. And when I went into grad school, I was like, oh my gosh, after school art club is group counseling. That's why I love it so much. And so I went ahead and I made my thesis on community art therapy. And I, um, selected a project. Um, there's a beautiful historic pool in Austin called Deep Eddy Pool. And I had a parent who I was doing a, a community mural with my after-school club. And a parent goes, hey, there's this wall um, at the park. And we always swim and we always say, wouldn't that be nice if there was a mural there? So it took me about three years um, because I did, I was doing two programs at the same time to kind of pull and piece this project together. And that's when I formulated community art therapy, like more in a qualitative and more of a systematic kind of understanding. Um, and that's what started it. And since then I've done one community mural a year and every year it gets like a little bit more fine-tuned and a little bit more fine-tuned. And of course it has the same kind of things that happen with group where you have a rupture, you have conflict, you have the honeymoon, you know, you have when things come to an end, you know, how, how your group, kind of has different momentums and things like that. So um, long story short, that's what started. <laughs> the, being an art teacher with middle schoolers and, and ironically, I started with paint. And for all of you art therapists out there who understand material management, I want for you to imagine, you know, 10 to 12, uh, 13, 10 year olds, you know, that middle school age with these beautiful buckets of colorful paint and what happens to their minds. It was like every single time without fail, at least two to three of my you know, group members would just dip their hands in the gallons of paint and just like let it drip. And then I was like, you know what? Um, this is before I understood material management because I was a teacher. I was like, you know what might be better? Mosaic, it's mm -hmm. very contained very contained. And then I moved into more of the handmaking of the tiles um, because then I was able to get a lot more participants in my community murals. Um, all of a sudden I went from having 30 participants to a thousand participants. And so that was really, cause I made sure every uh, school and staff member made a tile. Um, we would do little things during advisory where I had my little crews run around and they would have tiles being made. Deep Eddy, um, is, is I believe the largest mosaic mural in the city of Austin. It's about 1100 square feet of all handmade tile. There is so thousands and thousands of participants that made tiles for that mural. So that's kind of where the magic started. That's amazing. Oh my gosh. Um, how long did it take you to collect all of the handmade tiles and and then actually get it up on a wall? That is a tremendous amount of square footage. 
Yes, and actually there's a documentary, if you go to my website, communityarttherapy.com, um, we made a 27 minute um, documentary and PBS aired it. But the answer to that was I was a train the trainer. I enlisted a lot of school art teachers. And so it took from, it took five years, five years from the beginning of writing the idea. And then I graduated, I had my master's in art therapy, but then, you know, the project wasn't done. I was like, no, we've got to do this project. And I also had to fundraise all the money it was a lot different than a lot of art in public places where I had to actually fundraise the money in order to make the mural. Um, so five years, more or less, but the tile making to the installation was about 18 months. Like all of the prep, the planning, the city permits, the collaboration, the buy-in, um, train, train, train. It was about 18 months of intensive tile making and installation. That's incredible. And how did you go about fundraising for such a vast project? That particular project, um, I did a lot of creative things. I threw parties. I did, um, I had auctions. I went door to door with the businesses and had a letter saying, hey, will you please seed money? I asked my family members. So then I had a little bit of a seed money. And then from there, um, Art in public places, actually, they were doing in the city of Austin, there's like a 2% like city construction has to get back to the arts. So then we presented to AIPP and they said that they would give us some money, but they needed us to get some money too. So we also did workshops where we sold tiles. We asked for donations. We would go to the pool and we'd have family days. And we were there once a week for two months and we just asked for a $10 donation. Plus it was like a win-win, right? Like we were getting tiles being made. Um, and for any of you guys who do ceramics, you know, like making a tile isn't just like a one-stop shop. You have to roll the, you have to roll the slab out. You have to smooth the canvas texture off of it. You have to cut the tile, they have to make it. And then there's like all those little clavers Then you have to sand off all the clavers. Then you have to fire it. Then you glaze it. If there's any pinholes, you have to reglaze it. So. So, I mean, I actually, doc, I wish I had the paper handy how many hours I spent firing a kiln, but luckily there's a lot of other art teachers in the city finding, firing their children's and their students' um, tiles around too. Um, oh but a word of advice, and I do one mural a year, and this is, um, I've done 24 years in public schools, and um, I started as an art teacher, then I became a school counselor, and then this is the first year I've just done private practice, but if I waited for there to be money for a mural, I wouldn't have done a mural. Mm -hmm. So many times, um, and doing a, a mural on an agency or a school is actually really easy because you don't have to jump through city hoops. Doing a city mural is a whole different mm -hmm. ballgame. Yeah. So um, I've done some large scale mosaics like in neighborhood parks and we got city money for that. Mm -hmm. um, and then we also would have like fundraisers usually like an auction or a party like ask for donations. Um, sometimes the murals I did at schools and I have some really amazing ones that I did on campuses where I, did, I had summer camps and then I charged children money to attend the summer camps. And then that helped pay for my labor a little bit, but it most importantly paid for all the materials. I would ask PTA to contribute some money for materials, um, stuff like that. Sometimes I would just ask the, the like insure tile once donated, like thin set, cause you have to use really good thin set. You can't mm -hmm. use the junky thin set. 
So I asked them for their like mega, mega lights, custom building projects since that, you know? So I just, you just have to get comfortable asking and then also not waiting. If you just wait, you're not going to do it. Does that yeah, make sense? It's like, oh, I'm going to wait for this magical grant to happen. It's not necessarily going to be there. You just got to do it. Yeah, I, I would agree. I think that sometimes can be challenging for some therapists to ask for money that that brings up a lot of stuff for people. Um, but uh when you're doing a big project like that, it certainly is a necessity. And even if you're going to be seeking out grant funding, you're still going to have to do a lot of asking and, um, and a lot of work goes into writing a grant for those kinds of things too. And I would recommend like one, um, hiring a grant writer there are for hire, you usually have to pay them six or 8%. Another venue, is like when I did Deep Eddie, there wasn't GoFundMe. GoFundMe wasn't a thing, but GoFundMe is kind of cool. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, absolutely. And then you can um, offer like, you get a t-shirt, you know, like you could do fundraising in those ways, which wasn't necessary. And I might do that again, but so far I've been good. And most recently, because I've proven to like do murals on time, do mosaics on time, meet deadlines, um, I was able to get an Art and Public Places award out the door, which is like the first time that has ever happened to me. This is the first time. I'm... And the other thing is um, it brings up, you're talking about money brings up a lot of things for therapists, just people in general, is in yeah. it, I think in the beginning, there's like an under, un, did you know there's an under earners anonymous? But I was like reading about it and people who are afraid, you know what I mean? You know, all those people who don't want to work, it's under Earners Anonymous. There's actually a group for that. Did you know that? I did not know that. I've never heard of that. No. It's pretty cool. But I was like looking at it and a lot of times people overvalue their work. They're like, I'm an executive. I can't, you know, like I'm a chef. I can't be a prep cook. You know what I mean? So like sometimes we're like, we're going to make this ginormous, beautiful mural, but you don't have experience of making this ginormous, beautiful public piece of art, right? And so you have those fears. So basically what I'm saying is your first murals, just do it for the experience. Don't mm -hmm. expect X, Y, and Z. You have to establish yourself to know what the heck you're doing. But also it's lovely when you don't have to work for free, right? I agree. Yeah. I like to be paid. So um so just kind of knowing like maybe the first time you volunteer with someone to, to understand, to kind of create your portfolio, but it's, it's kind of that cool. It's like, it is a public piece of art. You want it to look good. You're an art therapist. What about the process versus the product? Like, how am I supposed mm. to like balance that? What if I have a, someone that's coming and painting it or we do mosaic mosaicing, but like their lines are gross. And you know, it's like, how do you dance the dance? to make something look beautiful and still be therapeutic. These are all big challenges. Those are huge challenges for sure. Um, especially since that is our motto, right? The pro process over the product, but this is a product that's going to live on and people are, are going to be looking at it. And it's not just going to like hang out in somebody's room or, you know, in yep. our storage closet or something. Um, so there is that necessity, but I imagine your eye as an art educator, you're able to move things around and shift things around and make it work. 
Um, plus the mosaic process allows for so much imperfection to be present um, and still be beautiful. You learn definitely techniques and it's about the partner and the experienced mosaic or working with the beginner. And, and, and that's, it was, we were talking a little bit before we got started on the podcast about what makes something like trauma informed and it's, it's about the relationship. So integrating, having a, I call them butter babes, everyone gets a butter babe. So if you're brand new, you get to be the butter babe, you get to learn how to do the process. And, and really drawing and mapping it out because it's really a puzzle if you think mm -hmm. about a mosaic. So many times I didn't get to mosaic lots and lots of those days because I'm watching and helping and guiding and just drawing lines being like, here's the line that the tiles are going to fit in, fill in that line, right? Mm -hmm. And then having everyone having a partner or a butter babe right next and you get to start and then you get to be the leader after you learn the words like undamento and the flow, right? Or someone who might be a little bit scared, you give them, there's always a task. And that's kind of the beautiful thing about mosaic is that it is lines, it is a puzzle. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, you know, having, helping everything kind of connect. Um, and one of my really good friends, who's one of my art wives, I have a lot of art wives. Um, we were doing a painted mural this last year. Um, and we painted a portable and somebody did something super funny. And we was like, well, now it's a part of our story, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's a little bit easier when we, every time we look at this, we'll be like, that's just part of the story of the beautifulness of the mural, because you don't want to ever, you don't want to ever disrespect someone by covering their artwork up. So you just have to integrate it. You're like, how can we make this part of our story? <laughs> yeah, definitely. That is true. When you're, when you're doing the group projects, right? We want to be mindful that, um, as art therapists, we're encouraging everybody, even those people that don't feel really confident with their artistic ability to participate and stretch themselves. And so <clears throat> sometimes, right, that's where the, the process product thing comes in. Like, don't focus on what it looks like, just focus on the process of doing so that you learn. Um, yeah. And then we have to accept it, but um, that's really cool. Can you speak a little bit more about like what goes into making these groups trauma-informed um, besides like partnering people up with support when they're first starting and making sure that they're able to have the learning process of how each part works? Yeah, and I'm just gonna interject real quick. So I'm presenting for the LA Summit on Sunday, April the 10th from 2.30 to 6.30. And what I'm going to be doing is I'm going to be teaching you guys, or for anyone that attends, I would love for you to attend, trauma-informed art therapy interventions for adolescent groups, virtual connections. And so kind of zooming out a little bit, mm -hmm. um, I'm a TBRI practitioner, which means trust-based relational intervention. Um, Karen Purvis Institute developed this beautiful trauma-informed um, like methodology that is really about bottoms up, right? It's all about relationship, regulate, you know, we gotta be regulated before we can have relationships, before we can reason. And just like always remembering that. Mm. And as therapists, we're all like, this is the best intervention in the universe. Like, oh my God, it's gonna be so cool. We're gonna do this and we're gonna do that. But if your group members are not regulated and they don't connect to you, 
then nothing really is going to happen. Right. And it, it's like really cool. Like I'm going to give you a bunch of like really amazing art therapy interventions, but most important, importantly, like I like to give a little lanyap. I want to hook y'all up. And we were talking um, before this, and I'm going to give a shout out to the group guru. She's amazing. It's like, I'm going to give you some of my marketing strategies because groups make good money and it's like a win-win. I'm going to tell you why it's a win-win. You're able to provide very affordable counseling to big groups of adolescents. And then you're going to make double up to triple of your hourly rate while helping all of these teenagers or middle schoolers like get regulated and like learn these skills. Like loneliness is such a, a thing yeah. and being alone in your mental health. Um, so I'm going to give you like really great fun interventions that use your senses, use sensory while being virtual. Um, and you know how hard it is to connect with people virtually. Yes. I, especially, uh, kids. It's really yeah. hard. <laughs> yeah. And they're like, um, everyone is like cameras off. And I'm like, no, 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 no. So, so I run four full counseling groups a week and I have some group members that have been with me for two years and I'm going to just be real nitty gritty about, about the, the beauty and the beast of running online groups and how to make them trauma informed and to give you guys some like very good strategies. Plus I'm going to give you my personal marketing and how I get people to join. Um, but then how to keep them there. That's the thing you got your group. How do you keep them coming back again and again? And that's the trauma informed piece is, is, and, and I'm sure this is an, a therapist podcast. You guys are probably all trauma-informed. You just don't know the language that goes with it. What makes something trauma-informed? And the bottom line is you, your relationship with your group members. And then here are some really kind of sneaky strategies that I've figured out just through being a middle school counselor and being, I'm a little neurodivergent myself, guys. Um, <laughs> figuring out how to, how to loop these people in. That's wonderful. Um, so- what would you say is the main way you market to get your groups filled? Obviously, you've been doing this for a long time. People know you in your community uh, because of the visibility that you have as a therapist doing these community projects, which other folks in private practice might not have that level of visibility. But what is like the main techniques or tools that you use or that, that have been effective in marketing for groups? You know, interestingly, um, cause I always ask whenever I get a referral, how did you find out about me? You know, because I just want to see what works and what doesn't honestly, psychology today gets me group members. Um, and also I know you just want, wow. I would say 20% of my group members come from psychology today. Crazy. Wow. I know. Um, another is inclusive therapy. I haven't gotten any group members, but I've gotten a lot. It's, I love inclusive therapy. They are amazing. I know you're looking at me like, I've like, not heard of this. Is yeah, that another directory? It's another directory that really specifically is, um, you know, that's more inclusive, right? Um, it's specifically about being inclusive. Um, and then I'm going to tell you some of my sneakies. Okay, guys, I'm giving you all my tricks now. Why are you going to come to my well, workshop? Well, I, I think 
give a snippet, but then you can like elaborate further in your workshop with the details. Okay. You're good. Instagram, Instagram, Instagram and MailChimp. Mm. Having an email list, having a marketing email list is just a tremendous value. I think that that over having all of the social media and stuff is way more important because you can engage in um, a, you know, a deeper way with your folks using your email. I agree. And just like, not too much, you know what I mean? It's like the ebb and flow because it's word of mouth. It really, really is word of mouth. And I was also like, oh, blah, blah, blah. Another therapist recommended or a blah, 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 you know, and I'm an extroverted extrovert. I know a lot of therapists aren't. You would think, I always think all therapists are supposed to be extrovert. I'm like, you're talking to people all day. But that is really not the case. Um, and I do have the extroverted extrovert kind of situation happening, but I think really other therapists, do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it could be in that email list. It could be like, just not being afraid to reach out like listservs. We have a, quite a few in Austin that are like on Facebook and different things and just like announcing it saying, and also I think therapists are afraid that if their client goes to you for group, they're going to lose their client. But when you're like, I'm so collaborative, oh my gosh, would love to help your socially awkward, lonely kid out. Love to collaborate, collaborate, collaborates with you and tag team with you and like helping other therapists be comfortable, like supplementing the therapeutic work that they're doing. I love that. I think that for me, that's part of my, um, my value system is collaboration over competition. I don't view anybody else as my competition at all. Like I'm, I'm okay. I would rather focus on collaborating and building relationships with my colleagues in the same way that I want to build relationships with my clients. Um, I just feel like that there's just so much more, it's just a better use of our energy to do that than to worry about how many people are filling somebody else's practice, or if somebody leaves to go to another person, I just want them to be happy, like with the person they're working with, if I'm not a good fit or one of the therapists in my practice aren't a good fit, that's okay. Um, like it's better, you know, not, we're not, for, we're not for everybody. Right. And I, and I also believe there's enough people that would benefit for group for every single person in the city yes. to run a group. I was like, everybody can run a group. It's okay. And, um, you know, my groups, especially I have one group, we're stage five in Austin when we go back. So out of those four groups, three are completely virtual and one is in person. Um, and, but now that we're stage five, we're back to being virtual. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, I, especially with the virtual aspect and with, with teens and middle schoolers getting comfortable with zoom. And now that they're back in person, you know, when it was all Zoom, they were like, oh, one more Zoom. But now it's it's back to feeling okay. And they know they know it as um, very normal. It's not abnormal. It feels okay to connect. But one of my very, very biggest rules is cameras on. And mm-hmm. I do work with a lot of trans clients who experience gender dysphoria and they have a hard time. And I'm like, filter it up, guys. You filter, and we use Zoom for our group formats. I'm like, you put a mask on, you could blur your face out. You could even put your camera to the ceiling 
but your camera's got to be on because I'm hilarious. And if I can't see your face, how do I know? How am I getting reinforced <laughs> for my humor? I love that. I love that. Do you have any other, uh, other secret weapons for keeping them engaged when <laughs> you're on Zoom? <laughs> Cause you know, it's easy for them to be like, Oh, let me like check over here on this website, or let me look at my phone. Um, I do have some tricks. Um, but definitely it's a, it's a still, I, I quietly chat them like, Hey, don't forget cameras on. Right. Or I send them a little message. And then sometimes people are like, I feel really gross today. Please don't make me have my camera on. And I'll be like, as long as you have it at your ceiling, I'm a okay. Because I also want to honor them. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but at the very beginning I had one group, which dissolved after three months. Did we last, how long did that group last? That group actually lasted four full months. Um, but it was cameras off everyone. And I was like, okay, it's one and all, but it was so challenging for me to run a group with like five black boxes and they were muted and cameras off. I honestly had to dissolve the group because I just felt so disengaged. I'm like, okay, we did our work. But my <sighs> other, my other three groups have been running for two years and they're on there. I think the other secret is a lot of people get really nervous. Or a lot of therapists get nervous with their groups, like, um, it's just going to be eight weeks because people are going to have a hard time committing to longer. I just, you know what, you're going to spend so much time keeping your group filled. If you keep just doing eight week, eight week, eight week series, just make it open and ongoing. And the other thing I want to give you as a tip, three makes mm -hmm. a group. If you build it, they will come start with three, just start with three and then just continue to build it up. But if you just wait, 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 it's never going to start. You just got to get started. I agree. I, I love that open and ongoing. We started doing some adolescent art therapy groups a number of years ago before COVID, pre-COVID. And we had one that was consistently running, but that was the trick. We had to make it open and ongoing. And when we tried to do it otherwise of like, we're going to have a six week commitment or a month commitment, it was, it was too challenging. Um, but the open and ongoing did really work, but that, that was an in-person group. The other thing is I do make a month to month commitment and I do charge at the beginning of the month, um, for the whole month series, regardless of attendance. Um, but of course I'm going to work with someone. I feel like, Hey, can you pull half the first and have it for sure? But as a general rule, I say it is month to month commitment. Um, and then some of the other things I do is that also, cause I'm a non-insurance agent, like group practice, we don't take any insurance money. So it allows me to offer some really good sliding skills. So 20% of, and 20% of our clients are sliding scale as our model. You know, some, some of my clinicians have like 35 on a sliding scale. It's up to you, but I do ask that all my clinicians do at least 20, but group is one of those. I'm going to be there. So it's cool if like 30% of my group is on a sliding scale and our groups are pretty affordable. They're only $50, um, a group. Um, it, I actually charged more for group before when we were in person, but I, I like the affordability of it. You know, mm -hmm. like even if I, and our groups are up to seven, 
And if I have one person, I'm usually like one to two group members are on a $25 sliding scale. Nice. So still, I mean, you're pulling in 300 bucks for a 75 minute group. That's not too shabby. No, that's, uh, that's excellent. I think most, most therapists that I know, if they're not in um, a large city, like in, or like New York or something where you can really, that like, that's that part of culture will uh, support those kinds of rates of like $300 an hour for individual therapy. Most people, you know, are charging somewhere in the ballpark between 75 and 175 an hour for individual therapy. And I would say usually it seems to hover around that hundred to 125 mark. So to be able to do a group for 75 minutes and, and have th- bring in $300 is great. Yeah. Um, it's a win-win everybody's winning. Yeah, for sure. Um, much less time and energy that you're putting out there so that you, it opens you up to do some of these other things that you're doing. Um, do you see individual clients in your practice as well? Yes. Yeah. Do you filter your individuals into your groups? Yeah, that's exactly. So sometimes it's like a client is doing really good. And so a step down might be might be group. Sometimes I am like, I see a client once a week individually, but they're in group um, or they just graduate to just group. Um, Or sometimes they start with group. And then I was like, you got to have some individual services. My friend. group is not, you need some side. You need extra support. Yeah, exactly. Awesome. And how many people do you have working in your practice, in your group practice? Right now, nine. Nine. Yeah. That's amazing. And you just went full-time in private practice a year ago? Yes. Holy cannoli. That's amazing. I was straddling. So I was working last year because it's all about that retirement, (laughs) the TRS, you know, so I had to like half time equaled a full credit. So I worked part time for the last two years and then I, but I was definitely working six days a week and it was too much. Um, And the pandemic was a great time to open a group practice because I didn't need a brick and mortar like group, but now I do. Now we have Joy Street, so we have a beautiful space, and we have a community arts center. Um, we have a kiln. We have everything this summer. Hopefully, we're gonna have not hopefully we are. We're gonna have the Power of Me Art Boot Camp, which will be like a self. We don't want for kids to think it's lame, but it's really like a self esteem, like really kind of getting that personal voice. Um, summer camp, and actually, they'll be my worker bees for my latest Art and Public Places commission. So it'll be like urban art, the Power of Me Art Bootcamp, where they'll be making a lot of tiles, plus they'll get like some therapeutic intervention and some art process time. So that'll be this summer. That's amazing. So cool. And are you using the same strategies to fill your summer camp as you do group? Yes. I used to run, I used to do summer camp at the school I worked at. And that's when I realized, wow. It's another form of group. This is amazing. So I already have like lots of my curriculum ready to go. This will be the first time that I have my own space 
that I'll be doing it. But yes, it'll be definitely, I'll be utilizing a lot more of like the MailChimp and putting it out there and signing up to just some different, there's a lot of directories for summer camps. Oh, I didn't know that. Very cool. Very cool. Awesome. Wow. So it sounds like if people sign up for your teaching session um, that you're facilitating at the upcoming Los Angeles um, summit, but you're going to be doing it online. So anybody can attend from wherever, which is really cool. And that'll be on Sunday, April 10th from 2.30 to 6.30 p.m. Um, And you're going to be teaching trauma-informed art therapy interventions for adolescent groups, virtual connections. So it'll be focusing on this process of um, creating virtual groups for adolescents, how to fill them, how to sustain them, and then um, sharing some of your secret fun, like creative projects that you do in your groups. That's it. Uh, It sounds like it's going to be incredible and people are going to have tremendous value. I think um, teaching people how to market and market the group is really important because there's not a lot of adolescent groups um, out there in the private practice realm, or at least where I'm at, most of them are just in like the community behavioral health settings. Mm -hmm. So, um, for private practitioners to learn that skill, it just makes such a huge asset to their business model. And, um, and it's fun. Group work is so much fun. It can be, it can be. And if you could get someone to, even if you're scared to co-facilitate a group with you. Like that's my very favorite is to have like another facilitator. And even if you split the money in half, that's still amazing, right? Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. to be able to like hold that that space for groups is awesome. Yeah, for sure. Co-facilitating is amazing if you have the option. I used to do a museum-based art therapy group with another art therapist, Angel Duncan, who's um, in, in town. And we did that for a few years and that was really, really fun. Um, but it's not the same doing it independently, like having that co-facilitator makes the process so much easier and everybody can then have like individual support should they need it. Or if there's a behavior problem, like one person can, can go attend to that while the other person's taking care of the cohesive part of the group. Um, yeah, yeah. It makes it more fluid and fun. So well, where can people find more information about you and your practice, Wanda? So if you go to community art therapy, um, communityarttherapy.com, um, I'm also on Instagram, Facebook, please, I'll follow you right back. We post a lot of stuff up there. Um, we also have a, a link tree. If you go to our website, you can sign up for our newsletter. We do a, we only do a once a month newsletter, kind of that MailChimp thing where mm-hmm. we, um, we make sure that it's not like we give, you know, it's funny marketing thing is I got one of those real estate flyers in the mail and it was like 10 things to do, you know, or it had like a recipe on it. I was like, Oh, I'll look at this. So I make sure my newsletters actually have things in it that are fun to do around the city or just like interesting information in addition. And I only do one, one a month. Um, so yeah, 
I would love for you to find us on our website or all of our stuff is linked to our website so you can learn more about us. And you can actually see the documentary. It's on the website too. Oh, I'm definitely going to put the link to your website, the documentary, um, and, and your social media in the show notes. And if you want to sign up for Wanda's session at the upcoming Expressive Therapy Summit, head over to www.expressivetherapysummit.com. You'll be able to click on LA event, and then you'll be able to find her session in the virtual session tab. Um, and you can sign up there. And so I am so grateful for your time today. And this was so much fun um, getting to learn about your process and all the cool things that you've got your hands in. So thanks so much for sharing it with me and the audience here. I appreciate you, Raina. Thank you, community of the world. You're welcome. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Creative Psychotherapist Podcast. Uh, this is uh, was a Voices from the Expressive Therapy Summit 2022, episode four uh, with Wanda. I really, really loved talking with her. Um, I loved her energy and all the cool things that she's doing. Make sure to click in the show notes and check out her documentary on her mural making process that aired on PBS. Um, I think you'll really enjoy it. And of course, um, you know, check out her work or learn from her at the upcoming Expressive Therapy Summit, no matter where you are, you can do so virtually and head over to expressivetherapysummit.com, click on the LA tab, and then click on virtual sessions. And you'll be able to find her session there to learn a little bit more about what she's going to be teaching on. Um, Anyway, take good care and we'll talk to you next time where we speak with um, Richard Gold, uh, who's going to be our next guest on the Voices from the Summit 2022 series. All right. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Creative Psychotherapist. If you like what you heard, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. For show notes, downloads, and additional resources, head over to the website at www.creativeclinicianscorner.com.